0: We are starting a brand new series uh, today. And so the reason why that's good news for a lot of people is because if this is your first time here or you haven't been here in a long time, we're super glad that you're with us. And it's good to know that because we're all starting on the same page. We're starting a brand new series and it's gonna go for five weeks. Now, um, if you are visiting and you're a guest, we're so glad that you're here with us. Uh, Just know that you can catch all the other messages of the series online on our YouTube channel or on our podcast. And uh, we'd love to invite you guys to join that and maybe subscribe to that uh, so you can kind of get all our rock messages here uh, at this church right delivered to your phone or to your computer, wherever you, you listen from. But we are starting a brand new series today and we are doing something and I'm doing something that I've never ever ever done with a sermon series before in my entire ministry, right? I've been in ministry since 2005, full-time, 16 years. I've never done this before. What we're doing for this series is not what I normally do. What I normally do is I pray and think and reflect, and God gives me a topic or an idea to kind of run with for the series, an idea that I feel like is important for you guys or important for the situation in the world or whatever, But this time we're not doing that we're doing something completely new that i've never done before what we're doing is in this series we're going to preach through one entire book of the bible okay i like it all right we're gonna pick one book we're picking one book and here's the thing i don't really know what god is gonna do okay i don't really know what he's gonna do but we pick the book and we're just gonna preach through the book and um this is not just me this is myself Pastor Jonathan and our summer intern, Pastor Eden, he's going to close it for us for the next five weeks. We, we prayed over this, and we selected a book to preach over for the next five weeks. Um, and I know you're thinking, what book? What book? What book are we going to preach on? And I'm going to get to that. Um, but what we're going to do is, we're not going to go with necessarily chapter one, two, three, four, five. It's after an overall study, we're going to kind of pull out concepts and themes and the way God is revealed and God is teaching through this book. So, this is what we're doing. For the next five weeks, we're going to do a deep dive into the book of Esther. The book of Esther. Okay, and uh, some of you guys are like, oh, Book of Esther, I know that, right? I was in School of Rock, and I learned everything there is to know about the Book of Esther, right? Or, or you're thinking, I've heard this story, I watch Veggie Tales, I know everything that there is to know about the Book of Esther. But as I've been studying it, man, it is awesome. This is such a good book. And I'm starting to believe that the Book of Esther is actually one of the most relatable and relevant books of the entire Bible, I know you guys are like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Isn't the book of Esther about this this woman who is this amazing hero and and, and so courageous and absolutes all of that. But there is something about this book that we're going to reveal today that shows us how relevant and relatable and impactful the book of Esther can be in your life today. Like right now in this world that we live in. So next week, um, as we go into the second part of the series, we're, we're going to be preaching, or I'm going to be preaching what I think is probably the most hopeful message of the entire series. So if you're at a place where you're like, man, I need some hope, and I'm kind of struggling, and I need some like life, and I need some breath, kind of breathe into my life and in my soul, next week is going to be the message for you, because I think next week is going to be the most hopeful seer, hopeful message of the entire series. So this is what we're going to do today. And I really, really, and I know I say this like all the time, but I really, really mean it. I want you to come back, okay? And I really do mean it all the time, but I really, really, really mean it because today's message is not like, this is the, the overview, okay? Like what we're doing today is we're going to step back and go 50,000 feet in the air and look at the book of Esther and try to answer one single question that you think you know the answer to, but you're probably wrong. And the question is, what is the point of the book of Esther? Again, you probably think you know what the point is. But I would bet money, but I'm not actually going to bet money, that you don't know. And you may be surprised at what God is going to reveal to you today. So I'm hoping that through this series, as as we study the book of Esther together, you're going to see, you're not only going to understand the book of Esther like you've never had before, but you're going to hear God speak to you through the book of Esther like never before. So let's pray and let's get into our first message on the book of Esther. Father in heaven, I thank you so much, Lord, for your mercy and your presence, Father. And I thank you for this wonderful book that you've blessed us with. Not just the book of Esther, but the entire Bible. Like you've shown us who you are and you've encouraged us through it, Lord. So uh, I just ask God that as we preach this series, Lord, that your presence would be here and that you would use us and that we would not get in the way and that we would really be able to understand what you're trying to say to us through this book. In your name we pray, amen. So the question we're trying to ask today, answer today is what is the point of the book of Esther? And so here's what I need you guys to understand. The point of Esther is not Esther. There's a spicy statement right there. I mean, that's what the book is called. The book of Esther is not about Esther. Now, Esther is amazing, right? And she's truly worthy to name your daughter after, right? It's, it's truly worth it. She's a worthy person to be, to be named after. She is amazing. She is courageous. She's a hero. She saved lives like so many different lives. She is amazing, but she's not the point of the book of Esther. So, right now, I'm hoping that you're thinking, okay, well, I totally thought Esther was the point of Esther. So, if Esther's not the point of Esther, What's the point of Esther? That's the question I want you to be thinking out this entire, thinking about this entire message. What is the point if it's not? If it's not? Esther. And it's something different, and it's something greater, and it's so awesome. I'm so excited to share with you guys what really the point of Esther is. Now, I need to prove it, right? And I can prove it to you. I can prove it to you that Esther is not the point of Esther. And I'm going to prove it to you by geeking out a little bit biblically on you guys, okay? Is that okay? Can I kind of like get a little like deep and a little like kind of analytical about the Bible today? All right, so I'm going to do this and and some of you guys are going to be like, okay, what is he even talking about? I just need you to trust me, all right? Because it's going to be worth it in the end, all right? So I can prove to you that Esther is not the point of Esther. But to do that, I need to break down the entire story, okay? It's 10 chapters. And just in case you don't know the story, just in case you weren't in School of Rock or maybe you missed that day, I'm going to break it down. But I'm going to try to do it fairly quickly to give us an overall understanding of the book of Esther. But we have to look at how the book of Esther was written and structured to understand the point of the book of Esther. Okay, so here's the, kind of the, 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 the real quick overview of the book of Esther. And I'm gonna put kind of the sections on the screen. There are 11 sections of the book of Esther. How many sections? 11 sections, okay, 11 sections of the book of Esther. And it starts with chapter one and chapter two. And I'm gonna call this section. Xerxes' greatness. Xerxes is the king of Persia at this time. And the story of Esther does not happen in Jerusalem, it does not happen in Israel. It's about a Jewish community living in the capital of Persia, which is called Susa. And the king at the time is Xerxes. And Xerxes is not a great person. All right, he's kind of like, he's got issues, right? But one of his issues is I'm pretty sure Xerxes is an alcoholic because in the book of Esther, this guy, all he does is party. All he does is party and all he does is drink. The entire book of Esther. That's like every time you see him, he's either doing that or he's getting mad. That's like he's either alcoholic and a rageaholic. So this guy's not a person to, you know, copy or or mimic in our life. But in the first two chapters of Esther, he's having a party. And he's having a party that lasts for 180 days. Some of you are like, ooh, that sounds fun. That's six months of partying, okay? Six months of partying. But the purpose of the party, he's not celebrating anything uh, uh, amazing. What he's celebrating is himself. And he has this huge party in honor of his greatness. So he brings all his officials to basically show off how awesome he is. And a part of this celebration is, and he wants to show off, is not just his stuff, but his lady as well. So he calls his queen, Queen Vashti, hey, come through and let me show you off to all my friends and all these officials. Let me show everybody how amazing I am through you. And she says, no. Right? Like, I'm not coming to do that. I, I ain't your, like, you know, I ain't your trophy wife. So I'm not coming. So he gets really mad. And so he says, you know what, Vashti, I'm done with you. And she, he kicks her out and she's no longer the queen. Okay? And, like, that's another power move, right? Because in front of all his officials, his, his, his woman, his, this lady, uh, defied him. And so in front of everyone, he banishes her. Again, power move. But he's in a situation where now he needs a new queen. And so then you have this whole story of this really odd beauty pageant where all the women from the area come and show their beauty. And then we're introduced to this woman named Esther. Esther. And she's beautiful and she's Jewish, but she doesn't tell everybody she's Jewish. And he loves her and he falls in love with her and he chooses her to be his queen. And so this is kind of the first two chapters of Esther. But what's really interesting is we get introduced to this other guy in the Bible or in this book called his name is Mordecai. And Mordecai is an important figure in this story as well. And at the end of chapter 1 and 2, there's this very small story that a lot of people forget about when you read the book of Esther. Because we're like focusing on Esther because that's the name of the book. But this really interesting happen, thing happens with Mordecai. It's in chapter 2, and he goes like this. It says, during the, uh, during the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the door, became angry and conspired to do what? Assassinate King Xerxes. So, so Mordecai just happens to be there. He hears of a plot to kill the king. And so what does he do? He does what any good loyal subject would do. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, two, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. By the way, there's a lot of violence in the book of Esther. Just to let you guys know, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of impaling, more impaling in this book than other books of the Bible. All right, but Mordecai hears this story or hears this plot, tells Esther, Esther tells the king, they look into it, it's true. They were trying to kill me. Let's get rid of these guys. So they kill these two guys. And then um, Mordecai saves love, and it's actually very important that it was written down in that book, the history of Xerxes' reign. Okay, that's really, so take that information and tuck it in the back of your mind. So we start with Xerxes' greatness. Then we're introduced for another guy. His name is Haman. And in chapter 3, Haman, this official, is elevated to essentially prime minister of the Persian Empire. And he's like, he hits the top, right? He's like the number two guy. He's really, really important. But again, Haman is also a really bad person. And as he's like, you know, going on a power trip. He's, he's thinking, man, I'm so amazing. I have so much power. I want everybody to bow to me wherever I go. And so everywhere he walks, like, everyone bows to him. And then he sees Mordecai. And Mordecai just, like, stares at him. And the Haman's like. And Mordecai's like. And so Haman gets really mad. He's like, what are you talking about? Everyone has to bow to me. Why aren't you bowing? And Mordecai's a Jew. So he's like, I'm not going to bow to anyone but God. Right? That's my thing. And so Haman gets really, really upset. And he, he finds out he's a Jew. And then Haman just kind of goes off the deep end. He says, you know what? I hate Mordecai so much. I want to kill him and all of his people. So what Haman does is he creates a decree So this is the third section, Haman's decree. And the decree is that in 11 months from now, which they determined through the the roll of a dice, 11 months from now, we're going to kill all the Jews. For real. Like that's a decree. And it got passed. Like We're just going to get rid of all these people. What's interesting though, is he doesn't actually tell the king that he wants to kill the Jews. He says, there is a people that we should get rid of. And king's like, all right. They sound kind of bad, let's get rid of them. So he sends forth this decree to all the, 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 the empire, and obviously all the Jews are like, What is this? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, right? Imagine getting that email in the morning. You wake up, the first thing you do is check your phone, and it says, In 11 months, you are gonna get killed. So it says, The city was thrown into confusion. And so they're like freaking out, They're like, What is this? What's happening? Is this really happening? And then Mordecai hears about it, and he gets so upset. I mean, I don't know, imagine what he was feeling, right? He was like kind of the cause of it, but it's like not really at the same time. And so he is really, really upset, and Mordecai thinks, we got to do something. So the fourth section of this book is the plan to reverse the decree. So Mordecai comes with, up with a plan to, to, to involve Esther in reversing the decree to kill all the Jews, all right, and so in chapter 4, this is kind of a famous chapter of the book of Esther that maybe if you've gone to VBS or group in church, you've heard a couple of verses, right? This is where we have the famous verses, like in chapter 4, verse 14, where Mordecai says to Esther, who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Which is like so rich theologically, so rich practically that we're going to get to in a later message in this series. That's why you got to come back, all right? And then we have this other verse that is like one of the most like... One of the most boss, baller, epic verses in the entire Bible. When Esther says, if I perish, I perish. Oh, dude, chills, right? Like that's amazing, right? Esther says, if I perish, I perish. This amazing moment. And we have that in chapter 4. Now moving on the story, they come up with a plan. And she's going to go to the king and basically say, it's not a very complicated plan. It's Esther will go to the king and say, can you change your mind? And there's obviously a lot of danger in there because the story tells us that if you go to the king without being invited, he can can kill you, he can get rid of you. So Esther, that's why Esther's like, if I perish, I perish. So Esther agrees to do the plan, and she has her, she's gonna do this, she's gonna butter up the king through what the king loves the most. What does the king love the most? He loves to party. So what Esther does is she has her first banquet. So this is the first part of her plan. Esther's first banquet. So she has this party, and the king's having a great time, and he's, she's like, hey, if, if I found a favor in your eyes, can you do me one thing? He's like, anything, anything. And she says, come to my party tomorrow. And he's like, okay, I'm going to come to your party tomorrow. Right, like she's doing me real strategic here. Now after that party is done, they're like, they had a great time, and Haman was there, and he has a great time, and he leaves that party, and he's feeling real good about himself. He's like kind of stumbling through the city, but what happens is he sees Mordecai and Mordecai still not bowing to him. So he, he's drunk and then he's angry in this moment, right? And so he goes back home and he's like, to his wife. I hate the Mordecai guy. He's the worst. He never bows to me. Everyone else bows to me. What's his problem? And his wife, who's like kind of crazy too, she comes up with a plan and she says this, have a poll set up. Remember I talked about a lot of impaling? Here we go. Have a pole set up reaching up to about 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning, in the morning, to have Mordecai impaled on it. Right? Like in the morning. I don't even know when the party ended. Maybe it's like ended at 4 a.m. There's like three hours and they're like let's build a pole and let's impale Haman. Let's get rid of this guy in a couple of hours. So that's what happens at the end of the first banquet. Now, in... Uh, in chapter 6 is where things get super interesting. I mean, already this story is kind of crazy, right? This is like a, this is like a crazy drama going on. Uh, in chapter 6, the story takes a really interesting turn. So after that party, the king tries to go to sleep and he can't. He's like lying in bed, tossing and turning. He's like, I can't sleep. So he asked one of his attendants, hey, can you read me, remember that book from chapter 1 and chapter 2? The History of King Xerxes' Reign. He's like, hey, why don't you bring out my favorite reading book, The History of King Xerxes' Reign, and read it to me. So the attendant is reading it, and they get to the part where Mordecai saves his life. And he's like, what? This happened? I don't remember this happening. And so he asks his attendant the question, what honor has, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. And the attendant said, nothing has been done for him, his attendant's answer. He's like, oh, dude we got to do something, right? Mordecai saved my life. This is amazing. He needs to be celebrated so that everyone can see that if you if you save my life, I'll honor you and bless you. And it's going to be amazing. So we got to figure out a way to honor him. Now it's the morning. And so Haman walks into the room. And what was Haman going to do? Remember? What was he going to do in the morning? He was going to go to the king and say, hey, let's kill Mordecai. But the king says, hey, hey, Haman, come here. I trust you. Come here. And then he adds this. This is actually the most hilarious part of the book. The king asked him the question in Esther chapter 6. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Like, what should I do for the guy I love so much? Now Haman, full of himself, thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? The king loves me. I'm his boy, man. He trusts me. He always gives me nice presents on Christmas. He always sends me encouraging texts, right? Like he loves me. He like trusts me with everything. So this is like so funny. He's like kind of being like coy about it. Like, oh, hey, hey, man. How should I honor the person I love the most? And he's like, "Uh, well, let's see. And so Haman, like, thinks of the most elaborate, most ridiculous honoring ever. And then Haman thinks it's all coming to him, right? He's like, okay, so this is what you should do. You should give him your robe, right, which is wild. He's like, Give him your robe, because he's like, I want to wear the robe. And let him ride a horse that you rode, because I want to ride one of your horses. And have someone take him around the entire town praising him. Haman's like, I would love that. And then the king says... Excellent, He says in, in verse 10, go at once. Like, let's do this. Get the robe and the horse and just, just do, do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew. Like, can you imagine? Haman was like taking off his robe, ready to put on his robe. He's like, oh, Mordecai the Jew? Okay, I guess we're doing Mordecai the Jew. Who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So... Haman, the irony of this story is just insane. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai. Can you imagine how that felt? Like he was just trying to kill him. His mortal enemy, he's like, all right, put this robe on your shoulders. And led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor all day Man, this is so funny, isn't it? Right. So Haman is doing this, and I'm sure he's just like a feuing mad. So in chapter six, things strange things happen, and, and we're calling this section Mordecai honored. Mordecai honored. This happens in chapter six, followed by real quick Esther's second banquet, and now Esther has her banquet, and this is the climax of the story. She reveals to the king, "I'm Jewish." And my people are in danger. Someone is trying to kill us. And the king says, what? Who would dare do that? And she goes, Haman. And he's like, oh, and he gets mad. And, and, and again, the irony is crazy because the king gets so upset that Haman was plotting and tricking and trying to manipulate him. And trying to kill his beautiful bride and his queen and all that stuff. And so what does he do? In verse chapter, chapter 7, verse 10, they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up. For Mordecai. Do you, are you guys seeing a lot of the irony in this book? It's like, what is happening? So this is where most people end the story. Yay, Esther saved everybody. Haman's gone. Mordecai's great. The king did it. Awesome. Everyone's alive. That's actually not where the story ends. And we have to keep going to understand, again, what's our question? What's the point of the book of Esther? We have to keep going. So and I'm going to try to move through this, this a little bit quicker. This next part of the section, I'm calling it, plan to reverse the decree. So they're like, okay, we set up that, de- that decree was set up, we got to reverse it. So they go to the king and say, king, can you get, change the change decree? Can you just reverse it? Can you annul it? Can you say that we're not doing this anymore? Send out the message, send out the cacao talk, send out the Instagram message, cancel the message. No one's dying in 11 months, we're good. King says, you know what, actually there's a rule that says you can't cancel any decree that I make. And they're like, what? What a dumb rule. But that's the rule. So there's a rule that you can't do it. And so they're trying to come up with a solution. And the solution is not a reversal of the decree, but it is a, another decree. And the decree is what we're calling Mordecai's decree. Mordecai's decree. And Mordecai, Mordecai's decree is any Jew in 11 months on that day, you are allowed to defend yourself and kill the people who are trying to kill you. You're allowed to do that. Right? It's kind of sounding very purgy, right? It's kind of weird, right? But um, that's the decree, and that decree gets sent out, and everyone's like on fire. They're like, we're going to defend ourselves. No one's going to kill us. We're going to make it through this thing. We're going to be alive and all that stuff. So the day comes, and all the people, Haman's like people and, and the, the people who plotted because they're mad that Haman's dead. They're like, let's go kill all these Jews. They fight back, and the Jews win, and they destroy all these people, and they kill all these people, and they survive. And what happens is after that, Mordecai is elevated to the same position that Haman had before. The prime minister, second to the king, Mordecai is elevated. And the book ends in chapter 10 talking about Mordecai's greatness. Mordecai's greatness in chapter, verses chapter 9 and 10. And in the whole chapter 10, basically says this in chapter 10, verse 3. It says, Mordecai the Jew became the prime minister. With authority next to that of King Xerxes himself. He was very great among the Jews who held him in high esteem because he continued to work for the good of his people and speak up for the welfare of all descendants. So, this is, this is the whole book of Esther, right? Let's put that on the screen. This is the whole book of Esther, right? From chapter 1 to chapter 10, this is how it is organized. Now, what I want you to notice here do you see some parallels? Right, look at the first thing that we read, Xerxes' greatness, and look at the last thing we read, Mordecai's greatness. In the second section, Haman is elevated, but in the second to the last section, Mordecai is elevated. If you look at the structure and topic of each section, they are paralleled on the other side of the book. You can see Haman's decree, Mordecai's decree, plan to reverse the decree, plan to reverse the decree, Esther's first banquet and Esther's sanctum. And right in the center is this chapter 6 where Mordecai... Is honored. See, what you have to understand about biblical writing, oftentimes they wrote very differently than we write today. When you write a paper, for all you guys who are writing papers and writing essays and learning about that, the most important sentence is the topic sentence. And that tells you what this whole essay, whole paragraph is about. Where does the topic sentence go? At the beginning. That's how we write in the Western world, in America today. This is how we write. The point of the chapter, the point of the book, the point of the paragraph at the beginning. But that was not how it was in ancient Jewish writing. In ancient Jewish writing, when you have this structure where there's parallels, the most important sentence or the most important section is the one right in the middle. That has no parallel. And in this story, in the book of Esther, that is chapter 6, where Mordecai... Is honored. This is the centerpiece of the whole story. This is how I, I'm proving to you that the book of Esther is not about Esther. The point of Esther is not Esther. She's amazing, okay. And, and if you're thinking about naming your child Esther, you should totally do it. All right. And all the Esthers I know are fantastic people. Do it. But she's not the point. See, as, you, as I've explained the story, you're probably realizing, wow, Mordecai has a lot more of involvement in the story than I thought. Like, he's a big player in this story. And even chapter 6, the center point of the story is a story where Mordecai is on. But the point of Esther is not Mordecai either. What are you talking about? Now, I'm hoping right now you're like, what is Chris even saying? Like, this is insane. And can you just please tell me the point? That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm trying to do right now is get you, like, just to, like, be frustrated with me right now. Just tell us the point. The point is not Esther. The point is not even Mordecai who is at the centerpiece story of the entire book. The point can be discovered when we ask one simple question. The question is this. Where is God In the book of Esther. When I told this whole story, I didn't mention God once. Do you know why? Because God is not mentioned once in the entire book of Esther. Some of you guys are like, what? And you want to pull out your Bibles and kind of like thumb through and see. But this is true. If you look for the name of God, God is not mentioned a single time in the book of Esther. Why? Why is God not mentioned? See, when we ask this question, where is God in the book of Esther, this is why I believe Esther is one of the most relevant and relatable books in the entire scripture. Because God is not so obvious in this book. We live right now, the world we live in is Esther's world. Have you ever felt that, like, man, if I just saw God do what he did in Genesis, Exodus, if I saw what Jesus did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like, I would believe and I would have full faith, like, I totally would. And you're like, I wish I lived in that time, but I don't. Where we live is right here in the book of Esther. Where we don't really see God, it's not so obvious. Maybe for some of you, maybe for some of you see God moving all the time. For a lot of people, we're like, I just, it's just not there. Like maybe I think, I get a sense, but like God is not in my face. Like he's not performing grand miracles before my very eyes. That's where we live. Every single day. When you go to work, when you go to school, that's where we live. We have to see if God shows up. It's not so obvious. So the question of where is God in the book of Esther, it leads us. The book of Esther is asking us the question. If God is not mentioned... Is God not present? If God was not obvious in the book of Esther, then was God oblivious to what was going on? I mean, what's going on is the massacre, potential massacre of his his people. Is he oblivious of that? It's asking us the question, if God is not acknowledged, if God was not acknowledged, was God not active in this story? If he was not noticed, was God So you have to ask that question. As you look at that story, Is does God show up? Essentially, this is the question. Does God's silence mean God's absence? And this is a question that you've probably asked before in your life. Where is God in my story? In this story, I can't seem to find him. In my story, in my life, I can't seem to find him either. So if he's silent, is he absent? If I can't see him doing crazy things, that means does he not exist? Is he not even there? See, what we have to understand is as you look at the story, and we're going to go deeper into this in the next couple of weeks. God is active in this story. You just can't see him. And you have to develop a specific perspective to see God move in the book of Esther. And if you can develop that perspective with Esther, you can develop that perspective for your own life. If you can begin to see God in Esther, you will see God move in your everyday life. So it's a challenging book, challenging us to have a new perspective to see. You see, even though God was not mentioned, God was absolutely present in the book of Esther. Even though he was not obvious, he was not oblivious to the needs and pain of his people. He knew that. You see, what the book of Esther is about, the point, here it is. The point is not Esther. The point is not Mordecai. The point is not that Esther is this amazing person who has so much courage. She wants. But if you look at this, and, and, and even ancient readers, when they read the story of, of Esther, they wouldn't have seen Esther and Mordecai as amazing examples of moral purity. Because actually some of the things they do are questionable. They broke the Torah in a lot of different ways in this story. So they're not upheld as, like, oh, in every way you should be like Esther and Mordecai. They're not the point. The point of the book of Esther is not Esther, it's not Mordecai. Here it is. The point of Esther is that in spite of crisis and bad moral decisions, God has not abandoned his promises or his people. That is the point of Esther. It's not about the people, it's not about the humans. As any other book you would imagine, the point of Esther is God himself. And a revelation of a very specific aspect of his character. And this is amazing. That in spite of crisis, in spite of the circumstances of our lives, in spite of my own mistakes and bad moral decisions, he has not abandoned me. That's the point. And he has not abandoned you. Even if there is silence... God is not absent. People may be hurting around you. People may be struggling. You may be hit with with a a circumstance and a crisis that is unbearable. But the point of Esther is to tell you that even in those crises, even in those moments of fear and anxiety and pain, he has not abandoned you and he has not abandoned his promise. And I know this not because I know your life. And I know this because, it's not because I know your struggle and I know what you're going through. And I know how things are. That's not why I know this. I know this because God promised this to you. That even though things may go bad, I am still there. And this is where he did it. One of the, one, in one, one of the many areas where he promised this in Matthew 28. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's why I know the promise and the point of Esther still stands today. You know, I feel like we live life living circumstance to circumstance. We live from this good circumstance and we're just trying to get to another good, good circumstance. Even though this bad circumstance has happened, we're just like trying to get through. We live by circumstance by circumstance. But God is calling us to live with a different perspective and a different mentality. Because in spite of crisis, in spite of circumstance, in spite of your bad decisions... He will not abandon you. And some people believe, and I think this makes a lot of sense, what's interesting about the book of Esther, it is the last, it is the last historical book in the the Old Testament. Meaning, it's the last story of, of what happened to God's people before Jesus. So between Esther and Jesus, there's a huge gap. Of history, We don't know what happened, at least in the Bible. There's other books that kind of talk about, but biblically, there is no other words. There's no other written record between Esther and Jesus. And it's almost like God wanted to prepare his people for a long season of silence. He's like, we're, we're not going to have a record here, but I need you to know that even though I'm quiet, even though you can't really see me so overtly, I'm there. And it's like he wants to show that to us as well. right? Even though you may not be hearing me and seeing me as obviously as you would like. Even though you want me to have a harder and stronger touch in your life. Even though you want me to reveal myself to you in this way. I know you want that. And just because you don't see that, it doesn't mean I'm not there. See, he's trying to confirm to us and remind us and help us to know without a doubt that God's silence does not mean God's absence. That is what the book of Esther is about. You didn't know that, right? I didn't know that. But as I studied it, this amazing, beautiful truth came rushing into my face. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited to preach this. So this is where we start. This is the mindset and perspective we start our new series on the book of Esther. With this in mind. Now, next week, like I said, we're going to go into chapter 6, right, that central story in the book of Esther. And in, in, in this story, I think we're going to, it's going to be the most hopeful story, so I want to invite you guys back. Now, when I end sermons and end and, and series and stuff like that, you know, I always love to give some kind of practical application. Like, go do this. Like, I want to give you homework. I want you to apply this. I want you to, like, do something. But I was really struggling with what it is. And I really just came down to one thing. And it's really this. If you want to respond to this message, to this truth... Come back next week. All right, that's what it is, all right. Like I said, this is just a preview, right. But it was a good preview, amen. Right, this is just a preview, but it's an awesome preview. So I want you to come back because we're going to go deeper. And we're going to go deeper into the story and you're going to see God in ways that you've never seen. seen. So I'm so excited for this series. I want to invite you back for our online audience. I want to invite you back. If you can come back in person and worship with us, we'd love to. If you're going away somewhere else, join us next week. We have podcasts, YouTube, all that stuff. Because I think it's going to be an amazing, amazing series as we go deeper into the story. So that's where we're starting from. This is the book of Esther. And that's what it's all about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I thank you, Lord, so much for the truth that you revealed to us. So crazy, God. Man, I've I've, I've heard the story of Esther so many times. And I bet so many people have heard this story so many times. But, God, there is so much beauty and so much power in this story that I've never even, I've never discovered, Lord. So I'm excited what you're going to do. And, God, I praise you and thank you, God, that you are a God who is faithful to his promises. And you've promised to never leave us. And so, Father, today we sit, we stand here in your presence confident of your promise that no matter what circumstance or crisis we may be facing, no matter what repercussions or effects of our own bad decisions we may be facing, we can believe and know that you are with us because your silence does not mean you are absent. You are here with us right now in this moment no matter what we are facing, no matter what obstacles we see, no matter what we are dealing with, you are here. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And so Father, help us to learn to see you in our lives. But even if we don't, help us to trust and know you are here.